You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm Dean Maniat, and my dear fans, I'm back. They've released me from the prison that it held me. Eric Name tried really hard to keep me away from the podcast, but I'm now I'm back. Yeah, I mean, we got really just, you know, the demand for you got to be so outrageous that I was like, God, we can only have this guy on like once a year. There's no way we can have him on any more than that. So, um, you know, I, I hope you enjoy it. I also think because I just told you that I'm going to have to talk to you for the next eight hours, but that's okay. We'll get through it together. Uh, Marathon Lockdown Bucks coming coming at you from uh, our good friend Dean Maniat at all the Bucks on Twitter. Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to say that, I mean, I appreciate the fact that you had all those wonderful guests, you know, the Mitchell Mowers and the Kane Pittmans. And I mean, sure. you know, the trash compared to me, so... It's fine. I mean, <laughs> probably Matt is the only one that I would accept because, you know, he's a good guy. And, yeah, okay, Frank, because, you know, he's the best. But, I mean, can you tell me about the shirt he was wearing during the live podcast he did? I mean, it was it looked so old man clothes, you know, when I saw the pictures. Yeah. I mean, uh, that that's not for me to judge. Uh, but, yeah, you know, Frank uh, Frank does his own thing, man. Uh just kind of, kind of an OG. He, he'll he'll do whatever he pleases, and you know if he if he wants to go with the with the checks uh, <laughs> with a little uh, zip up hoodie over the top of it, he can go ahead and do that. Yeah, I get it with Frank, but all the rest of the guys are. Anyway, I mean, now my fans are going to be. You're out, you're out on everyone else. Yeah. Out on everyone else. Just you. Um, this is you know at or the, I mean I guess this is locked on all the bucks instead of uh, just lockdown bucks. And that's uh, like the first time we did it. <laughs> uh, that was the original intro we did. But yeah, so the, honestly, though, we have tried to make this work a bunch of times. Schedules have just like not worked out, I swear, because you're a total trash. Every time I've asked you to come on, you've said there's something wrong with your schedule or I hate you. No, I don't want to do your stupid podcast. Like there's always been something uh, with you. So um, we are happy to finally have you on and you know there's kind of a couple different things we wanted to talk about uh if i'm being honest you and i did a little bit more prep than frank and i typically do like we actually have like the topics kind of figured out that that we're going to talk about so yeah i mean i think we can we can kind of hop into it and uh, i guess so anytime i have dean on obviously i want to look at you know kind of more global trends i suppose where you know you're trying to figure out like why are certain things happening how do the bucks fit into that world and you know try to answer some of the bigger questions and i think one of the biggest questions with this team this year is that um we get 
we get to the we, we get to a loss and a- after it Frank and I will sit there and you know we'll try to think of reasons why the Bucks lost and most of the time what we come up with is well the other team shot the ball really well and the Bucks didn't shoot as well as they could have and you know that that's kind of why they lost and you know I I don't like saying stuff like that because you know then it just feels like oh well you know, outlier shooting performance. So, you know, the, the Bucks didn't actually deserve to lose. But with the way that they play it, you know, a lot of the times, I think that's kind of the answer. So we have a question. I asked for a couple from you guys on Twitter, at Eric underscore name for me, at all the Bucks for Dean. Uh, Matt sent in a question. Have you noticed any trends behind the outlier performances that have handed the Bucks basically all of their recent losses? So, Dean, have you noticed any trends? All right, I'm going to preface it. First of all, I mean, I think I pinned a tweet. Yeah, I did about it. Um, When a team suits like, let's say, a margin of 10% over or under the the season-long three-point percentage that they have, uh, it's usually an outlier performance. And, I mean, let's say against the Wizards, I think they shot like 54% or something like that. 54, yeah. And, I mean, okay, I get that it happens often with the Bucks. It's actually one of they're actually one of the unluckiest teams in the league. They're not the unluckiest team though. I think last I checked, they had two offensive outlier performances from three and uh, seven defensively. While the team is the opposing team shot like above forty five point two percent, and I think there's like the Thunder, which have worse luck or something. I don't remember another team. I did some research early in the week. But I mean, it's not bad to say that, you know, sometimes you're going to be unlucky and with the box, just because they give up so many threes, which okay, is, it, it is a bad thing. They are minimizing the, the amount of threes that they give up, you know, at the, the best spots from the corners. And they do give a high amount of threes to power forwards and centers. So they're actually, you know funneling the opposing team to shoot threes, but they do try to control who gets them and, you know, the location from where they come. And they've just been quite unlucky at that. And then, you know, on the other side, the Bucks, I think like it was uh, about a month ago where I tweeted, they had this stretch of games where they were just shooting horribly on wide open threes. And the Bucks as a team generate a lot of corner threes as well. And they were missing a lot, a lot of them. So, you know, there are, of, I mean, I tweet after games for the few times I've lost. I tweeted when I saw an, an outlier performance. And I mean, against the Wizards, even though there was an outlier performance defensively, that's not why they lost the game. I mean, it was, as some of the losses I can attribute to, you know, just other teams being lucky. Like, I mean, the Knicks game was incredible. They're hitting, like, I think, uh, what was it, like, seven of eight from heavily contested threes off the dribble. (laughs) It was incredible. But, uh, I mean, there are, I think, three losses that the Bucs just didn't perform well. And the first one was against the Clippers in Los Angeles. You know, Nightlife is undefeated, though. And Mm -hmm. which was honestly just the Bucs playing bad basketball. And I think also the Wizards game was like that even though the Wizards shot extremely well from three. And, you know, in the second half, they did try to come back and um, Jeff Green was just hitting everything. I mean, it was also an incredible performance. But, I mean, it was that first half when the Bucks were just all over the place. 
defensively and offensively. And I mean, okay, probably Giannis being out is a big part of that. But they didn't play well. And I think like the third game that they just lost because they didn't play well was um, against Indiana. They just didn't play well. I mean, they uh, they didn't hit Soch all that well. Um, mostly the starters, because the bench was really good. And it's one of those, you know, it's the trends. Oh, I, I can give an example about that. Like against Indiana, Giannis had like, uh, what was it? 11 potential assists and the Bucks scored on seven of them. So that's a pretty great mm-hmm. conversion rate. But if you go against a game that wasn't out loud, a game against uh, the Golden State Warriors at home, where the Bucks just couldn't hit anything, they were like 7 or 39 from three, which was like uh, 17.9%. And it was uh, like Giannis had 20. Yeah, he had 20 mm. potential assists and they just converted on three of them. So, you know, that was an outlier, but the games that I said were just, you know, bad performances. But, you know, going a bit deeper on that, I mean, there are things that the Bucks do that other teams can try to exploit and things that other teams do to the box that the Bucks don't quite know yet how to exploit. Like, for example, against the Knicks uh, in that first game, the Bucks lost. Early on in the game, it was pretty obvious that uh, David Fistel had, you know, actually planned the offense for the next in a way that when all oh, the backs have this problem of, you know, they definitely overhope in the nail, which is the area, you know, right above the free throw line. And when someone drives middle, the two players that are on the wings are going to, you know, take a step towards the center just to be, you know, the presence has to bother the ball handler and stuff like that. And the Knicks knew about yeah. that, and immediately as they took one step, there was a pass to the short, you know, wing side of where the player was, and an immediate launch of, from three, which was an open shot because, you know, they knew that the defender that was responsible for that person was going to help. They caught him in between. Like, essentially, yeah, they, saw, yeah. they, they knew that the help was going to come at that time, let them take that step, and then kick out to put them in no man's land. Yep. So it was pretty deliberate the way they did that. But I mean, even that, that is not a huge, you know, hugely negative shot to give up. I mean, the Bucks are just so intent on stopping opponents from getting to the rim, and they're doing an admirable job of it. I mean, they're an incredibly good defense when it comes to protecting the rim. I know. Best I, by both. I was, I was going to say, I wrote about it in my mailbag at The Athletic the other week, and it's just like the... Like saying they're good at defending the rim, just like it, it's not even close to enough to describe just how good they are at it. Like yep. the, the the percentage of shots teams take at the rim, like I think they're two or three percent lower than the second lowest team, which is like the difference between like second and tenth or eleventh uh, in that percentage. And then you know, like the percentage that teams are shooting at the rim is also very bad. And you know, like when you combine all those things together, like you just have the league's best rim defense. And you know, I think a lot of the times that's really difficult for people to comprehend because it's not like um you know, like they don't think of Brooke Lopez as Rudy Gobert. It's not like, oh yeah, you know, defense player of the year in the middle, like you're going to keep everyone from the rim. But, you know, they've found a way that Brooke has been good when he's in there at protecting the rim. And then on top of that, like you have Giannis on the backside, which is either 
you know, will push people further out or as they're coming to the rim, they see 34 trailing and they're just like, okay, this isn't for me. Like I need to, I need to find a different shot. So that was one thing I wanted to try to clarify tonight as you, just as you were talking about, it's just like saying the bucks are good at protecting the rim, or I think you even used great. Like even that might not be strong enough. Like they are just so far above the rest of the league in this, that like, that's why, you know, when you're thinking about, Oh man, they give up all these threes and all that stuff. It's like, well, you know, you're going to give up that many three, like those, those shots that you're, taken away from at the rim like they got to go somewhere and teams are largely just kind of bumping those to the three-point line and to above the break threes which if you're the bucks uh pretty much ideal like uh, i mean obviously you'd want them to be mid-range shots but like that's just not going to happen like if you're going to take away the rim teams are going to turn those into three-pointers is i think you're right i mean the system is like so that you know they're not just blocking every you know if there's someone's going to get through them they're going to get blocked I mean, they're doing everything they can to just avoid from players getting to the rim. And when they do, there's yeah. like three people that you can test. I mean, for for example, I mean, in the last few years, there were teams that were either good at, you know, limiting football attempts at the rim or, you know, contesting them, such as what the judge do. But, I mean, yeah. the Bucks do both, which is extremely rare, rare, rare thing to do. And, I mean, they're giving up something because... I mean, you've said so as well. They're, it's impossible to stop everything. But, I mean, the fact that they're doing that is the reason they have such a good defense. Because, I mean... Do you do you remember the graphs at, uh, man, I think Nylon Calculus. It might even be like four or five years ago at this point. But it was, it was when Zaza was still on the team. But they had on one axis, they showed rim deterrence, which was essentially like how many field goals are attempted at a rim at the rim. And then also like rim percentage. Do you remember that graph? Like it had one on the X axis, one on the Y axis. And then, you know, like if you went to like the right, right corner, that was like where the truly elite rim protectors were. And it's like, that's how the Bucks play defense. Yeah. Yeah. I get what you mean. So, yeah, and, um, you know, I mean, that's like, I mean, as we said earlier in the year, I mean, this kind of defense is open to high variance such. So if teams take more threes, it's, you know, it's more probable that they might hit more. It's also quite probable that they won't hit enough. And the box have some <laughs> mean regression to, to do on that end. I mean, they still have too many games where they have been unlucky defending the three-point line and they haven't had enough games being lucky defending the three-point line so that's also something i'll have to take into account for the future and i mean defensively that's pretty much it the main problem that they have and it's not something that teams have done yet it's when they have to guard the pick and roll with i have a couple of examples of teams that did it um when it's not the one in five or the two and five when they get to pick and roll defense, when it's wings player, wing players which are involved, like you know, when one and three or a two and three, three and four, they're really bad at defending those because the drop coverage is not working. And I mean, the Celtics did that in the first game with uh, Marcus Morris. They yep. would you know run yep. pick and roll with that, and remember who was the ball handler. But it was you know disastrous because they were intent on dropping back. But then again, the box have shown after the, the second solid game, that they were willing to switch. And not just, you know, switching everything, they tried different things. 
They tried switching everything against Charlotte. I mean, the, uh, the the entire fourth quarter was just a switching scheme. I think it was like half of the third quarter and all of the fourth one when they came back in that game. Yeah. They were down like 20-something. And they were just switching everything, even with Brook Lopez, which was incredible. <laughs> I mean, he's like this 300-feet-tall man <laughs> who was just switching to guards, and he was doing a great job at it. Because, you know, it was it, switching is more of a high-energy thing. I mean, if you have high energy and you're flying around and you don't do it often, teams are, you know, more prone to be, to get, you know, panicked from what you're doing. And that may lead to more turnovers. But recently they just, you know, uh, which game was it that they switched? Well, one, two, three, four in the end. Was it? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I think it, shoot, I think it was the Jazz. I remember asking Yana this post game, and he was like, I wasn't switching, or Brooke wasn't switching, but we were switching one through yeah. four. I think it, it had to be at home. I think it was the Jazz. Yeah, so that's, I mean, Bot has shown that he's willing to change a few things. Which is huge, because is huge. as I mentioned in like mailbags, and as we talked about before the season, like that was a thing that a lot of the times Bud would, would not do. Like that, that, or I shouldn't say he would not do it, but that was kind of a, a critique of his coaching style coming in was that, you know, he's, um, you know, he, he just likes to play the way he likes to play and he doesn't want to, uh, he doesn't want to really deviate from that. And he's shown that he has, or that yeah. he is willing to do so. I mean, yeah, because you were talking with Frank the other day about, you know, what the Hawks were doing during the 14-15 season against the, the Cavaliers. And because, uh, you know, when Bud was rumored to be, you know, one of the coaches that the Bucks were looking for, I mean, I went back and watched the games, and indeed, they were doing nothing different on defense. They were mm-hmm. just, they had one scheme, and nothing changed. The Cavs were just destroying them with ball movement, and they just did nothing. But that's how the Hawks <laughs> were. They were doing nothing different. That was the yep. def- defense that they had. But nobody is actually trying things. And even within the dropping team that I have, he does change some things. I mean, he has changed the way that help comes against certain teams. And that was very profound against the uh, Trailblazers in the second game, where they try to avoid helping uh, when... McCollum was uh, driving, you know, they would just help immediately on the, in the first game and try to contest the shot. And the second game, they would push him forward more towards, uh, you know, the paint area, like, I don't know, 12 feet out, and then mm-hmm. help would come, which would make a different, a very a different kind of approach because now it was very difficult for him to pass to the other side. And it was, you know, it's subtle, subtle differences that come with the defensive scheme that, you know, I mean... Sure, there have been things that have been troubling with the Bucks defense in some games, but it's not something that I would be bothered about unless I see it in the playoffs. And again, on the other side, it's one more thing. I mean, on the, in the offense, I mean, on the offensive side, there is one thing that the Bucks are not good at right now, and that's and why it made seem to people that the Bucks have problems when teams, you know form a wall in the paint and just stop Giannis from driving. That's not the problem. Giannis will find a way to, if he doesn't, if he, I mean, if it's, it's a game that matters to him, if, even if there's a wall in the paint, he's going to do something <laughs> about it. 
I mean, you know, Stanbeck and Gandhi could be on the floor and he would still do something about it. They would all be screaming, you know, form a fucking wall. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> and he would just do something about it. But, I mean, the main problem they have is when the opposing teams switch, they still don't have, I don't know, an approach that's, you know, okay, they're switching, so now we're going to do this and we're going to punish them because they have mismatches all over the place because, you know, most of the positions they play, I mean, most of the guys are oversized for their position or at least they're long enough to be, you know, have an advantage. And you don't see them against switching defenses, you know, go and do something deliberate to punish the defense. And that's, you know, that's why they had problems against uh, the Hornets, uh, that and, you know. I thought what, one thing I was going to say, though, was um, in the Rockets game, uh, as that game went on, um, there was it was kind of a little pet set that they were running where it would be like a dribble handoff to Giannis. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if you can imagine it, but there it was a little bit of a dribble handoff and they knew the switch was coming, but the handoff created enough space that he could then attack that switch with space. If that makes any sense um, where it would all of a sudden, like he would have, he'd have the room to fit in his Euro or get to the basket or, or whatever it may be. And like, those are the kind of things that you'll, you know, you have to figure out, but also at the same time, like there's not a lot of teams that are really good at switching and like, that's only a a thing you're going to have to worry about probably in a playoff series. And again, like you want to probably get some practice against that in the regular season, but uh, just a a random Tuesday night game, like you're not going to walk in and be like, okay, we know they're switching. We put in all this stuff in practice. Like you're just going to see how it goes and then probably try to, deal with it as the night goes on yeah i'll bet anyone any amount of money that the box have you know kind of trained on switching they've done something about it or they're just experienced Mm -hmm. i mean it's obvious when they do switch it's not you know it's not awkward when they do it it looks just fine they might have some miscommunications you know all teams do but it's not you know it's this jumble of feet and hands you know moving around they know what they're doing yeah, no, I I would totally agree, and I think that that like, like kind of like we talked about, if there's some stuff, obviously, you know, looking at the outlier performances, I think on the other side of things, like if you if you don't feel truly confident with the outlier performance stuff, and you're worried about it across seven games, I think something that should you know make you feel comfortable is the fact that Bud has shown that he's he's ready to make some adjustments, even if they are subtle. Um, he is willing to make some adjustments and not just keep running into a brick wall, whether that's offensively or defensively, like they are willing to, you know, work their way out of that. And, you know, I think that should leave some people at least, you know, feeling a little bit more comfortable um, when it comes to those outlier performances that, you know, if they need to, and, you know, these outlier performances really start stacking up in the playoffs, like they can, I think in some ways, find a way out of that. So um, thank you for the question, Matt. I appreciate it. Um, let's go to another question here. Um Sir Garvin was wondering why have the starters been so mediocre when they share the floor? And uh, if you look at the starters net rating on the season, I think the last time I looked, it was like plus 2.7, maybe Um, I would have to look again, but I'm guessing uh, since we talked about this question, you probably have the numbers in front of you and you may or may not have an explanation to me uh, 
for why that might be, Dean? I actually had the numbers. I think I switched tabs. I'm going to find it soon. Um, I actually, like an hour ago before the podcast, I had no answer. I couldn't find anything that would make sense. <laughs> I mean, I knew that the starters were bad both in the first and the third quarters. And it's it wasn't, you know, just the, the beginning of the season or just a stretch of the season. They they were bad for most of the season. I mean, they've been better in mm-hmm. the last uh, 10, 15 games, close to like plus six. But it's not great. It's not, you know, the awesome starting unit that the Bucks actually do have. But I mean, I did. So in short, do the, do the Bucks have a flying death machine? And if you're not aware of the flying death machine, that is uh, the phrase for the the Heat lineup that just destroyed the world when it was uh, Braun and uh, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. They they kind of had figured out a, a lineup that just kind of destroyed the world. Or you know, obviously the death lineup that the Warriors had as well. Those would be two examples of kind of I, I think stuff that people would hope that the Bucks have, but I don't... Do they really have a lineup like that? Uh, no, they don't. Um, they have a vast array of lineups that are very positive, though, and there are some common mm-hmm. players in them. I just, you know, they're, Bud uses a lot of lineups. I mean, it's just a lot of them. He's not afraid, you know, to experiment with which players are going to play in its game and which combinations of players are going to play. Um, even though he has, you know, rigid... Uh, you know, his lineups are not, he's not going to play players that he doesn't want to play for a game, but he's going to change it around a bit. But I mean, I did look around and I found something about the starting lineup. They've been very unlucky in terms of defensive uh, rating. I mean, their uh, like just defensive rating is 6.4 points <laughs> lower than what it actually is. Because opposing teams are shooting like 41% from three against them. And it's mostly centers and forwards. And they're shooting like 79 something percent from the free throw line. And, you know, along the minutes that they play, these things add up. But, I mean, look, we all saw them struggle for like large portion of the season. Just, you know, the first quarter. It wasn't pretty. Uh, they will, you know, usually go down. Then it's going to be the timeout, and Bud would be, you know, all red faced and <laughs> chewing on his gums and stuff like that. And you know, that's something that they did. It's not. I don't think that they played poorly. I mean, they have been unlucky. I don't think they've been quite focused. I'm not worried about the lineup because in the fourth quarter, they're, you know, they played 45 minutes and they're like plus 300 million points because <laughs> you know that's when it matters to them that they're going to play great. Uh, but I don't think that we can draw conclusions from it. I know that the Bucks have some lineups, especially. You know, I, I tweeted the other day, and you guys talked about it, how incredible the Bucks have been in second quarters. I mean, they've been just astounding with what they do. They're one of the best performances of all time. So, I mean, I think it's more of a, a focus thing for them. It's not something I would be worried about. It's not. I mean, their uh, four factors are great. For the starting lineup, I mean, it's it's just you know, some bottle luck and stuff like that. Okay, so that isn't like a, a monstrous concern. That's just you know, um, and again, I I understand when we start talking about like luck uh, adjusted things and uh, outlier performances. I, I think at times, uh, listeners' eyes can kind of glaze over where it's just like, okay, you're just gonna 
just excuse it. And that's not ever our goal. Like that, it, we're not trying to say that don't worry about things because you can worry about whatever you want. Um, but there, I, I would agree. Like there, to me, there doesn't feel. And again, you know the numbers better than I do. But just watching that that lineup play, it's not like oh they're screwed together. Like they can't. Yeah, they can't I mean they look good, don't they? Yeah. Have you ever you know seen a game that you? While watching, you were like, oh, this lineup sucks, you know, playing basketball. No, 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 not once. That that, that just so, hasn't happened. Yeah, that's what, that's what I would be worried about. I mean, if it's, if you saw the game last night, I mean, when you saw the fourth quarter lineup, you knew. The, the, I mean, it's, sucks, no. yeah. yeah. <laughs> You can see it. Yeah, 100%. Um, Okay, let's go to – you wanted to hop on uh, today over at The Athletic Wisconsin. I wrote an article about uh, the bench unit and kind of how it's really come together in the last month. And, you know, I I kind of circled three people. uh, One of your most favorite people in the whole wide world, Sterling Brown. um, Oh, yeah. His constant shit talk. Um, I talked uh, a little bit. Uh, with Thon Maker about it and, you know, just how uh, he mentioned that Sterling never stops. But, you know, when anyone on the Bucks is talking about Sterling never stopping, it's pretty much just them talking about his mouth because he just keeps talking all the time. Uh, and some of the clips that uh, you had helped me find, uh, you can hear on the, on like the, the basket mics it's like you can hear him talking trash and all of those is like not only is he getting steals like you can also hear him talking junk and all of them which is fantastic so if you want to check out the article you can do that um, but the other two guys i circled were george hill uh i talked to him a little bit about you know kind of what his mindset was and he mentioned the idea that you know the first day he got to milwaukee he got the whole bench unit together and was just like hey uh our starting five is awesome and they're playing at a high level. So essentially we just need to come in and not give up points. Like we'll, whatever, like we'll figure out a way to put the ball in the basket, but like we're going to defend at a high level every night and we'll worry about offense later. And um, I think that's been a big part. And then, you know, I talked about uh, the viral sensation DJ Wilson and, you know, obviously that possession that, I swear among Bucks players, uh, it was during that back-to-back in Miami. Um, obviously it blew up on Bucks Twitter and social media, just how many different times he switched. And it was like 18 full seconds of him playing. And strangely enough, like even with as, as big of a deal as that became to Bucks fans and Bucks Twitter and uh, you know, like basketball Twitter in general, like I honestly think it means even more to, like the players on the team, because to this day, it's been almost a month. If you bring up DJ Wilson and defense, that possession still gets brought up by players and coaches. Like they still talk about it because it was just like this incredible example of, you know, what giving everything you have on defense really looks like. And, uh, you know, having the skills that DJ does to be able to switch, to be able to move his feet, uh, to, you know, just kind of be a revelation here uh, this season. So those are the three guys that I kind of focused on and just how good the bench has been. Um, And you said you had some numbers that I'm fingers crossed aren't going to disprove what I uh, was writing about because that would really be not great. Um, But it would be a asshole Dean move to, you know, just come in here and shit on me. Um, So fingers crossed. That's not what you did. Fingers crossed. 
all of your numbers support uh, what I was saying with this bench. You know that I would do that, you know, in, in direct messages. I wouldn't do that on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do the, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to keep talking and I'm going to, you know, send you things on Twitter. <laughs> messages. Oh, you're trash. <laughs> all right. Uh, I want to talk who should go first. Okay. I'm going to talk to my favorite player ever, Sterling Brown. I mean, ever since you had him hostage in your basement a couple of years ago. And I know people don't remember that, (laughs) but you did. And I have proof of that. (laughs) When he disappeared for like a month. Anyway, I I mean, I treated like like a month ago again that, I mean, watching Sterling Brown play defense is a really joyful experience for me. And it's not just, you know, because he's great defensively. I mean, I think he's a great defender. in the second year of his career, I mean, he still fouls a lot. He's very gambly. And in some cases, he's a great, I mean, he's great at helping when someone is in the post. He's one of the two people on the team that I trust, you know, when they're going to help someone in the post, him and George Hill, because they have, you know, this talent of timing. Yeah. They understand when to go help in the post, when they're, you know, on the strong side. But um, more of uh, you know, it's just the energy that he exhumes and the trash talking and everything that he does defensively. <laughs> it's just, you know, so high energy. And it's not like Thorn, who is, you know, he's high energy and he can boost the team. But more often than not, he's like destroying the defensive principles that <laughs> Bod is trying to instill on the team. Sterling is, you know, there's this destructive force that's, you know, solid in whatever he does and he does fall a lot and he may sometimes he's out of position especially on the ball he's going to be you know a bit, a bit closer to the player that he has to be but he's just so joyful you know it's a joyful experience to watch him play the game and i mean i saw the other day and i think i had tweeted about it like at some point that surprisingly even though all the box players the, the ones that are you know in the rotation have um a positive uh on off rating you know, the, actually, when they're on the court, it's positive net, net rating. And that's, you know, sound of a great team. Sterling Brown had the worst on-off because the team, when he's on the court, is 2.4 uh, points for 100 percentage better. And when he's off the court, they're uh, plus, what is it? Hello, Sterling. Plus 11.7. So that's like nine points better when he's off the court. And I did some digging around because, you know, he's he's in that second unit and he's proof. now he's, this, uh, I think, the first sub that comes in for mm-hmm. Brogdon. And it didn't make sense to me. And I did look at the numbers. And, I mean, that's just, a, you know, uh, a bad sample because if you take away the games that Sterling Brown played at the beginning of the year when, he you know, he plays garbage time and then he played, you know, sporadic minutes here and there. These games were the ones that, you know, his net rating took, took a great hit because the team was performing great without him. And then he'd play some minutes, you know, the, there would be any flow in the team. It would be like four minutes or three minutes. So that hurt his on-off rating. Uh, but um, I did some good digging around. And then I saw that, you know, since <coughs> December 1st, which is pretty much uh, December 2nd. Oh, first, yeah. It's the first game that he got in the rotation and he played like, uh, I don't know, 19 minutes or something, which was the game against the Knicks that the Bucks lost. Since then, his net rating is uh, plus 12.8 and his off is uh, plus 6.6. So he has a plus 6.2 
mm-hmm. of net rating. And his net rating is great when he's on the court. I mean, the team has a 113.2 offensive rating and a 100.4 defensive rating, which is an elite differential. So, I mean, for those, you know, and I mean, I was one of them, people that were, you know, confused by why Stephen Brown's numbers are so low, just attributed to, you know, the first few games of the season, like first dozen games or so, that the Bucks he had not a defined role. And now that he does, his net rating is great. And it's demonstrative of what, what he does right now on the court. So, yay, Sterling Brown, I'm a big fan of his. <laughs> and I know you are too. Hashtag Sterling stands. Sterling stands, man. Okay, let's go. Uh, next to, I'm going to leave TJ Wilson last because he's incredible. Uh, okay, George Hill. I mean, I don't know. When the Bucks got George Hill, I said that, you know, apart from the financial aspects of the trade, where they got rid of the contracts and, you know, the picks that they gave up, if the Bucks could get somewhat of what George Hill was two years ago, it would really help this team. And George Hill started off, you know, really slow. He couldn't make shots. He was a bit off, you know, the first few games, he would be in the wrong position. He would, you know, be in the darkest spot, to be honest, driving. It was insanity. But I mean, and I mean, I read the article, and indeed, you can see the veteran presence. And apart from that, I mean, there's so much stability in the second lineup now that I mean, it's incredibly beneficial to the box. I mean, he now has uh, the second best net rating in the team. I think uh, George Hill and Giannis together are like plus twenty three in net rating, and they've played a lot of minutes together, and. Every player with a place with George Hill is plus 15 or more. I mean, that's incredible. And I know that people have this bad image of him, like from the first few games and then the Houston game where he didn't, you know, follow the Bledsoe uh, footprint on what the blueprint on what they're going to do. And apart from that game, George Hill has been extremely stable on defense. I mean, he's very pesky. He's like deadly, but a lot better. As a basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> no, you you mentioned it before, like um, you know, just his ability to like dig out a, a post up, like that's it's really hard. Like in, in in like a high school game or you know, even in a college game, like you can you can do that sometimes. Like there there'll be a shitty enough big that you can like take advantage of them, surprise them. Like it's really hard in the NBA. And, you know, I think every Bucks fan should know that from watching the Bucks double the post for uh, the last two years before this, like where they would just send guys there and the goal was to get a turnover and it would never work because NBA bigs are too talented for that. And George Hill like, just finds a way. And uh, I know in the article, Bud mentioned, you know, just how long he, like his arms are and, you know, his ability to get in passing and stuff, but like he, he's, he's legitimately good at that. And uh, there's, there's very much something there that I don't think you could teach. Yep. And I think that the one thing that people don't really, you know, grasp about George Hill is that his presence on the team has made Malcolm Brogdon much more playable for the Bucks because Brogdon is a great player. I mean, he's, he's been phenomenal this year. He's great. Um, he's incredible scoring, and he is actually much better defensively because now he doesn't have to guard the point guard. Brogdon is, you know, he's a big, mm-hmm. too big. I mean, I've told you before. I think that he's, he gets murdered on every screen. Yeah. There's not a screen he hasn't died on. I mean, Brogdon is not 
God, he is just an undersized three for me. I mean, I've said that for mm-hmm. years. He doesn't have the quickness laterally to defend the point guard position or even, you know, small shooting guards. So the fact that George Hill comes in and now is, you know, the defensive anchor of the uh, backcourt for the second unit means that Brockton can now focus on, you know, guarding someone who's more, who's more wing-sized or, you know, at least the shooting guard of the opposing team. And that's why the, the team, when both of them are together, is incredible because now, you know, Brogdon is not getting exposed defensively. And, I mean, that's why I had arms about, you know, Brogdon being the point guard for the Bucs after, the you know, the first few months of his career with the Bucs. It was pretty obvious that, you know, the Bucs were performing better when Brogdon was not the point guard simply because he wasn't good defensively against that position. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, one very underrated aspect of having George Hill on the team. And lastly, let's go to the best player of all time, who, um, I mean, <laughs> right now, I don't think if you can, if you should just start him in place of Giannis, because, I mean, I think the Bucks would be fine with him. I mean, I think they could keep winning. I mean, DJ Wilson, man, I mean, I, I, I've never been so wrong about a player. I was trashing him, you know, both privately mm-hmm. and, you know, on Twitter, when his option was picked up, I had no idea who to, he had such a skill set. I had, hadn't seen, I mean, obviously I hadn't seen him play much in the NBA, but I mean, he's, uh, 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 it's something I, I can't even explain. I mean, he's big, he's almost like Giannis in terms of height, but he has this weird kind of movement with his feet that, I mean, he's great. He's actually very quick laterally, but he's also very quick in, in terms of an axis, so he can move laterally and move his feet both front and back, which is, you know, a very weird thing to say. If, you, if, you, if you're listening to this... I think it's got to be hips, right? Like, it's got to yeah, be great hips that so. allows it, right? Yeah, because, I mean, if you're listening to the podcast, next game, just watch DJ Wilson when he's, you know, somewhere in the paint and he's sading someone who's, you know, trying to drive or, you know, making a post move. Just look at his feet and see how... Weirdly, he moves both front and back. I mean, it's something that just, I said, I used the word yesterday to you. It's a hate. I, I really hate that word. I'm flabbergasted from this incredible mm-hmm. performance that he has defensively. I mean, it's not, and you mentioned the Miami game, and it's not it's just one position. He's, in, he's great all the time defensively. He does get out of position sometimes, but he has a great ability to recover because of, you know, this athleticism that's so weird for me to see from such a tall guy, which is, you know, it's usually guard skill that you can move so well, both front and back with your feet. And I had some stats about DJ and I think that while you find them, I'll I'll tell you. So in, in the story, um, I guess with like the perception of DJ, one of the things that I thought was so big in kind of coloring what anyone thought of him was, uh, you know, it's this incredible moment in the post-draft press conference. So it's Kid and Horst, and they're you know out uh, on the on the platform together, talking, taking questions from the media. And I asked a question about, you know, DJ didn't have great rebounding numbers in college. Like, you know, do you do you have some concerns about it? And for some reason, Jason Kidd decides to field the question. It, it could have gone to either of them, and Jason like cracks a joke that 
he fits and everyone was trying to figure out what the hell he was talking about. And then he says, you know, well, like as a team, we don't rebound. So he'll fit in. And everyone like kind of laughed awkwardly because, you know, he was trashing the guy that they just drafted. And it was just this uh, surreal kind of moment where it's just like, did that just happen? Like, did, did the head coach just trash the guy that they just drafted? Like, what? What? That that was really weird. And um, you know, like for the story, I I never asked DJ before if he had he had if he was watching that night or if he had ever heard that. And you know, we talked about it, and he was like, "No, like on draft night, I was at home, and then you know, like I was celebrating with my family and friends because I had been drafted." He's like, so I didn't watch it then. And he's like, I, I didn't even know that that happened. Um, and you know, it, it was just kind of, it's just kind of crazy. And you know, when I asked him about it and you know how he feels this year after it, he's just like, well, you know, like I feel like this year we do rebound and I fit that. And I was like, okay, that sounds great. <laughs> that I, I, the, the shortness of your answer and the, seemingly genuine anger you have would suggest that you haven't heard this before. And that does kind of piss you off, which it absolutely should, because I just think it undersold DJ in so many ways, because I, I going into this year, I was like, can he play with energy? Can he rebound? Can he uh, be effective on the defensive end? And, you know, after seeing a month of him as a rotation player, you'd be, you'd be fucking crazy to ask those questions because it's very clear that he does all of those things. Like he, he does have great energy and uh, he is out there rebounding the basketball and he's attacking the glass and like he is doing all these things. And it's just like, uh, it's crazy just how different the perceptions are. I believe you found your numbers now, so I will let you go with that. I mean, did he give you get a dust uh, when you told him that? Like, mm. uh, it wasn't a death stare. It was like a, are, are you serious? Like it was like a kind of like a head, like a head tilt, like that really happened. Uh, and I had to be like, "Yep, it did." Um, did you? Watch, so no, not a death stare. Did you watch the the clip of the you know um, the, the press conference when he was uh, announced his draft? Did I watch? Yeah, the which clip. clip? Where the one with uh, the interview? The, the did I put it? Yes. Okay, because I just watched it. It, it like, is a train wreck that get. It's a train wreck that gets worse by the second. It's amazing. When he says, you know, the he fits thing, it's like this dead silence for like five seconds. Well, no one knew what <laughs> like what he could possibly be talking about. It was so confusing. I know. Um, John Horse no. just, you know, starts laughing and I was like, oh, this is crazy. It, but like, I felt terrible for John because he was like, in a, like, he was in this position where he's like, did did our head coach just trash this traffic? Like, like he had to try to like back, but it was, like I said, uh, one, you should, one, you should subscribe to the athletic just to watch that clip. Um, but like, it is, it, it is in just incredible human theater. It was amazing. I mean, it's, uh, I have such bliss in my life now that Jason kid is gone. Anyway, yeah, I got the numbers I wanted. I mean, I mean, I think you've seen it around and many people have mentioned it that DJ Wilson now has the best net rating in the universe. But I have another interesting stat that actually I think it's more important to me. DJ Wilson has played now 137 minutes with no center in the lineup. That means without Brook Lopez or Thornmaker. And his net rating is plus 14.5. The box defensive rating with Wilson and no centers is 89.9. Yeah, that's huge. Which is 
it's incredibly important because it means that conceivably you can have a small board lineup with Wilson and whomever you want, presume Giannis, and it's it's uh, so far uh, those lineups have been incredible. And I wanted to tie this in with another thing that I, well, we should probably spend a few minutes talking about. And that's another question that I saw with, you know, if we're worried about Brook Lopez being, you know, um, played out of games in the playoffs, mm-hmm. if you saw that question. And I think that it's quite possible that Brook Lopez would not be able to play against maybe, I don't know, Boston, if the Bucks. Sure. face up against Boston or I don't know like maybe <clears throat> the Hornets if they play you know like a 1-8 or 2-7 mm-hmm. matchup but I mean there's another interesting stat that I think I, I sent to you the other day and that's that the box with uh where is it all right when Giannis is on the court with Brook Lopez the box have a net rating of uh plus 11.1, which is a great net rating. When Giannis is on the court without Brook Lopez, the Bucks have a net, net rating of plus 14.3. And they have a drop-off in offensive, offensive rating. It goes from 112.4 to 16.2. But they also gain 9.4 points in defensive rating. It goes from 101.3 to 91.9. And that's 507 minutes of playing time, that's like that's a lot. Uh, fifteen full games or something, or something like that, and that's also very encouraging because even if other teams do get Brook Lopez out of the game, the Bucks have shown that they can actually, you know, play up to that. And I don't think that Brook Lopez is going to, you know, not going to play in a game. But if other teams go small, I think that the Bucks have ways to punish them, and. I think it's also important to note that without Brook Lopez, the lineups with Giannis have a pace of 110.7. That's like, I don't know, <laughs> like just running all over the court. It's incredible. Yeah. And I mean, it's just so dynamic. And I don't, I, I was talking to the other day about it. And I just, right now, in the halfway point of the season, I just don't have any, how to say it, I don't fear anything about the playoffs. I don't think of something that's going to be, you know, like, oh, the opponent is going to do that. And what are the Bucks going to do? Because the Bucks have potential and they have so many things that they've tried to do and so many different styles of basketball that they play. They're so dynamic as a team that I just, you know, I'm all anxious to see what they're going to do than, you know, being, you know, afraid of what might happen in the game. Mm-hmm. And I want to hear th- your thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of been what makes things interesting for uh, the trade deadline coming up. Like, because across the athletic network, like every every beat guy is going to write about, uh, you know, like the trade deadline and what to think about coming forward. And you know, when when you think about the Bucks, it's really difficult to think about something that that they need. And, you know, Frank and I have talked about this before, but, you know, it's like, um, it, it, they place 
they play so many different styles of basketball with so many different guys in so many different ways that it's just like, I don't, I don't know what, what you're looking for. I mean, I think like of all the scenarios you can think of, it's like, okay, uh, is there a world where Embiid could get Lopez in foul trouble and then you don't have another like really big body to throw at him? Like maybe that's a thing, but it's such a, a, a niche concern that it's just like, do you target that? How do you target that? Like, how do you find another large human that isn't going to get bulldozed by Joel Embiid? And it's like, and do you want to find that? Or do you just want to say, screw it, let's go, let's, let's just go small against Joel Embiid and force him to deal with that? Because, you know, maybe there's some validity um, in that approach as well. So it's like, okay, that that's maybe like one thing that you, you worry about. And then, you know, you go through the rest of the lineup and it's like, okay, there isn't – like watching Wayne Allington the other night in garbage time, I was like, okay, Wayne Allington is like an interesting player that you know could give the Bucks something slightly different off the bench, but it's like, uh, what, what are you going to do with him? Uh, I, I, do you just have a, like a Wayne Allington package of plays? And if so, like when do you bring out that package of plays and whose minutes do you cut into to uh, go with that as well? And then – it's just like, okay, at point guard, you have Bledsoe who can cover super quick guys. Uh, you have George Hill who can use his length to bother uh, bigger guards. You have Malcolm Brogdon who can do the same. You, you go to the shooting guard position. You have George Hill that can chase people around. You have Eric Bledsoe that can chase people around. Uh, you have Middleton that can bother people with his length. Uh, you have... Um, Biff Sterling Brown who can get physical with guards if he needs to. Um then you go to the small forward position. It's like, okay, well, Chris has been taking on the toughest assignments. And again, like he's not, he's not Kawhi Leonard, but he's, he's a damn good defender. Um, and ever since he got benched, he's been just kind of kicking ass defensively where he, he's had the, the toughest matchups around the league and, you know, he's held up plenty fine in all those spots. So like, you just go through. So that's small forward power forward. You have Giannis. So you have no concerns at power forward. And if you do have concerns at power forward, you have DJ Wilson, uh, who's been really good. And then, Oh yeah. You also have Ersani Sova, who's been very good as well. And then at center, it's like, okay, are you going to need to switch at center sometimes? Okay. DJ Wilson could switch. If you want to go small, if you want a little bit more size um, and length and you really want to frustrate and trap people, you have found makers. So it's just like you, you keep, thinking of every scenario at all those positions. And I mean, I keep telling people like, it's really hard to find something. And, you know, like Dwayne, I think Dwayne Dedman is probably like the most popular um, trade. I get thrown at me outside of Bradley Beal, which we'll get to in a second, if I can get through just the thought of it. Um, But, you know, like Dedman is, is kind of like the one guy and it's like, okay, yeah, like that would be a guy that would have some bulk and can, kind of reasonably stretch the floor like okay maybe maybe deadman would be someone but uh, are you really feeling great if your your second guy to go at Embiid is deadman like do you feel that much better like i don't think i don't think you probably do i don't think there's any minutes left for deadman or anyone yeah i mean i could get behind getting someone like ellington you know who's who's gonna do one specific specific thing you know if the team is not making such Maybe you can get him in, you know, get some rhythm for the team. But uh, I think that, you know, when we get to the playoffs, the Bucks are going to have what? Let's say for the second round, they do get over the first round. Eight-man, nine-man rotation. The Bucks have 
their eight, nine-man rotation <laughs> yes, right now. I mean, they have people sitting out who could be, and they were in the mm-hmm. rotation before. And, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think that, first of all, I mean, I said that the other day, I don't think that the Bucks are going to make any trades that, you know, involve anyone on the roster, unless it's, you know, Smith and maybe a pick or something. I think they could try for something in the buyout market and, you know, release Wood. But there's um, maybe a shooter would be a good choice. I don't, I wouldn't go for a center because, I mean, Embiid is not, at this spot in his career where he's, you know, this incredible post-up player who's going to mm-hmm. destroy you if you get, have, you know, a smaller guy on him. He's very, very turnover prone. And that's how the Celtics, you know, took advantage of him both last year and in the games they played this year. And, you know, it's the games that Embiid doesn't play well is because they're going to get someone, he's going to try for a post-up and they're going to get someone on the, the strong side who's going to be, you know, a pesky defender who's going to jump in and try to trap him. And he's not a great passer. Yep. And the Sixers don't have great spot-up shooters. And now Embiid is kind of forced to play more, you know, off the ball. Sometimes, although his post-ups are pretty much the same in terms of volume, his other p- p- positions are more, you know, in the perimeter. When he, I mean, he's not a threat. He could be a threat in one game. He could score, you know, make four out of six threes. But, you know, you're, you're going to live with that. You don't care about Embiid making threes. And I'm sure that that's what Bud is going to do if they play the Sixers. But, I mean, the Bucs have currently four players who they rotate in and out of their forward and center positions. And they also have Thonmaker, who plays sometimes when he, you know the Bucs need some energy. And, I mean, if you're going to go in the playoffs, which of the four out of Giannis, Wilson, Ilyasova, and Lopez are you going to take out to get Deadman in? Ilyasova, I guess. Yeah, probably. but then that's that just reduces the amount of you know suitability you have, and yep. the how small you can go. And I mean, Giannis is quite comfortable playing with Ilyasova at the four and five. They do have some understanding of how the defense is going to work. Yep. So I mean, I don't think that they. I mean, they might go for someone like that, just you know, have some insurance in case someone gets injured. Although you know, the buyout market's going to be there after. The trade deadline. Um, but I just, you know, I don't see them doing anything quite so big. Unless, you know, they trade Middleton for Bill. <laughs> 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 um, okay. Well, now that we're here, uh, we have one thing. We want to talk about MVP, but we also, I got a question from um, someone every day but brendan is the most recent to ask so thank you for the question brendan uh do you think the wizards would consider a chris dante thon package for beal and whatever to make the money work do we have a package circled around middleton that gets that done um i'm guessing they would probably want draft assets instead of instead given the uncertainty of middleton's free agency and um just let me start here um if you saw uh wait 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 just give me like five seconds. I'm like internally screaming right now. Okay. Well, two deep breaths. <sighs> okay, let's go. Okay. Um, so let, let's just start with Bradley Beal. I did the same thing in my mailbag over at The Athletic the other day, but um, let's start with Bradley Beal. The Wizards are not trading Bradley Beal. They, they are not. 
Yeah. Uh, if you if you saw Ted Leonis at uh, in London today. Uh, Candace Buckner, the fantastic reporter from the Washington Post, uh, tweeted out some of his remarks. Um, to quote Ted, we will never, ever tank. That's pretty strong. Um, that That's that's certainly going to, um, even further. Bradley Beal has told me, we have enough. We're not going to let you down. We're not letting anybody off the hook. We got to make the playoffs. So, John Wall is out for the year. If they were to trade Bradley Beal, their season would be over. That would be tanking. The owner just said they are not tanking. And if that if that was really what you needed, great. But I think you should have been able to see from the context clues of, I don't know, Ernie Grunfeld's entire career, the they were never making that trade. Beal is like the one good asset they have in Washington. He he is is not going to get traded. So again, I, I've said this in twenty different ways already. Um, Bradley Beal is not getting traded. Bradley Beal is not getting traded. Bradley Beal is not getting traded. Um, I, I cannot make it any more clear. But hopefully now uh, the owner of the team has made it very clear to everyone that Bradley Beal is not getting traded. So let's just stop that there now. Chris Middleton, I've I don't know how many times I've had this conversation, but um, Dean, you're you're a pretty sharp guy. Um, you are one of the people I go to for cap questions when I'm trying to figure things out because I'm a bit more of a novice. I'm not great with the numbers. You are. Um, let's say the Bucks don't sign Chris Middleton's contract. How do they try to fill the void that Chris Middleton would leave on the roster? How can they find <laughs> that Chris Middleton leaves on the on the roster while signing a free agent or bringing anyone in from the outside? Just just not not even like thinking of the person and player that Chris Middleton is. Just financially, how can they do that? Can they do that? Well, they would have to renounce his cup hold. They would have to renounce Eric Bledsoe's cup hold, which means that it would both be free agents. And then they would have room for one max player. Okay. And then they would have to find one max player, someone who would sign, but then they would have lost both Bledsoe and Middleton. So, and that's the only way to do so correctly. That (laughs) yeah, the only way. There's only one way to get a max cap spike is to. I mean, okay. uh, To be fair, there is one. No, there is one way. If they do get rid of Snell's contract without getting anything back, they can keep one of the two cap holds and get a max player. I mean, they would also have to renounce Pat Connaughton and Kristen Wood and George Hill and Sterling Brown. Uh, yeah, and they would have to retain both Brogdon and... Oh, and Thorn as well. They would have to trade Thorn. They would have to retain Brogdon and one of the two Middleton or Bledsoe's cup holds and then they would also have a max a max slot so the options would be they could have Giannis and Brogdon plus one max player who would want to come to Milwaukee or they could have Giannis plus Brogdon plus one of Bledsoe or Middleton and one max player but then they would be over the lax tax and they would have lost all of the other players that the team, team has <laughs> and they would have to start again <laughs> And that would also be, you know, so then who is the free agent you're targeting? And 
not a lot of them make sense. I mean, you could go for KD, I guess. Ooh. But uh, apart from his incredible love for Giannis, which is kind of creepy, <laughs> um, I don't think he would think of signing on the box. And I think the most real- realistic target who is not going to resign with his team is Kemba Walker, who is going to resign with the Hornets. From I mean, from what I've sure. read, from what I heard, he's just he wants to resign. And I mean, you could go for Clay Thompson, but is Clay Thompson someone you would you know destroy the team to get? Mm-hmm. Is he that much better than you know Middleton? Is he? I mean, he was pretty trash for the most of the year. Sorry, Clay Thompson, if you're listening to the podcast, you're great. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I just. I tried to lay it out as clearly as possible I could in the mailbag. I tried to do it on Twitter. Like, um, I understand wanting to upgrade for Middleton. I, I get it. Um, but also, I, I just don't think uh, enough credence is given to just how incredibly difficult that type of move would be and the sacrifices you would have to make to make that move. Like, to get someone I mean, better is the number two. Like you, you're gonna have to chop off part of the team, or you're gonna just have to accept that your team is is not gonna players three through eight on the roster just aren't gonna be as good, and you better hope two is so much better that it can make up for all of that. You know, I'm gonna leave this for another podcast because I have this huge beef with people with the whole number two option stuff like that. I mean, I. I don't get where people are coming from with that, but I mean, it's a huge discussion because, you know, I just, I don't get how people evaluate how much, you know, what you need to get a championship. I mean, do people know what the Bucs can do in the playoffs? They haven't been to the playoffs. They've been in the regular season where they have one of the best um, net ratings and SRS in NBA history with this team without a number two option. With just plain old Chris Middleton, who you know, <laughs> he's a scrub. Um, who, by the way, Chris Middleton is just—I mean, he does some things, you know, sometimes poorly. I've I've whined about some of the things he does to you as well, but I mean, does anyone even bother to understand just how great of a rebounder Chris Middleton is for his position? I mean, he just goes there and just grabs those rebounds. He's incredible. I mean, if you watch the last few games and the game where the Bucks, oh, which corner was it? Or the way, uh, oh, I guess the Hawks. I mean, he was the only one in double digit rebounds because he just goes there and gets it. He's, you know, he's very long. He's actually pretty physical when he comes to it comes to rebounding. And I mean, just ah, Chris Middleton, such a trust player. Yeah, I've t- I've told people before that um, maybe his greatest curse as a player is that the mistakes he makes are so incredibly obvious and the things that he does well are so incredibly subtle. Like, yeah. like you, when you see something and the people always come into my mentions are like, Oh, did you see that? And it's like, of course I saw that. I have two eyes. Like, yeah, I saw, I saw the mistake that he made. Um, but it, it's just like, I don't ask you if you saw the way that he moved in the defensive rotation or, you know, the, the play that he made uh, on an hockey assist. Like, I don't, 
I don't ask all of you all of the time about those things because it would be really difficult because it's a, it's a little bit more subtle. Um, and then, you know, there's the whole thing that uh, despite the worst shooting slump of his career, 17 and a half points per game uh, for Chris Middleton. And there's also, you know, kind of the whole thing that, uh, well, he only plays uh, 31 minutes a night. And, um, you know, if you, if you, put his numbers out to per 36 Dean they're the best it's ever been in his career um <laughs> so you know just just the fact that the bucks are really good and bud is not a not someone who's going to play chris middleton 37 minutes a night uh means that he's having a terrible season when in reality he's actually better than he's ever been before. He just doesn't get five extra minutes to do that. And he doesn't get, uh, you know, as many shots as someone like Brad Beal, who is the number one option uh, and not forced to be the number two option, whatever. It's fine. Um, I spent, I spent way too much time there um, as is. Okay. Last thing we want to talk about, it's been very long, but whatever. It's a Friday. If you don't listen to it all, whatever, or it's, you just ruined your entire workday, and I'm happy to be a part it's of that. It's a podcast with me. It's supposed to be five hours long. I, I don't disagree. Enjoy it. So last, <laughs> enjoy yourself. <laughs> um, so last thing we'll we'll talk about. You know, take it to happy hour with you. I don't care. Whatever you need to do to get through your Friday. Uh, last thing we want to talk about was MVP, and you know, I think we're at an interesting spot here where, throughout this entire season, Giannis has been the front runner, and he's to me he's been the clear mvp and now james harden is at a month where i mean i don't know that i've ever seen anyone take on the the workload that james harden has taken on and played with the players that he's played with and still managed to average like eight assists per game while also averaging 40 points per game and i just think he's he's been absolutely just absolutely incredible. And I mean, you know, that's I, exactly what I would say. He's been absolutely incredible. And uh, like, I mean, I just don't like, there's no, there's no, re- there's no need in it to deny that. Like that, that's just the truth. And, you know, like I, I think it's pretty obvious at this point that if he is able to keep this up for the entire season, um, the MVP is his, like as much as, you know, uh, as much as we see from Giannis and as much as he does, like he, he wouldn't be doing what Harden is doing. But this is also what I'll say is, okay, Harden is taking the lead for now. At some point, some of the players on the Rockets are probably going to come back. And if those players don't come back, we know that in the past Harden has bro- broken down. And I think that seems incredibly likely to me because of that workload. Like we've just never seen anything like this. And if he'd be able to carry it out over the final three months of the season, give him the, give him the trophy. Like he, he did, he won he would, he would 100% deserve it. Yeah. And, uh, like last year when I was looking through, you know, the winners of the MVP trophy, I mean, it's pretty consistent that it's, it has a very high recency bias. I mean, when players play well, in the you know last few months of the season, that's when it matters for the voters. <laughs> so you know if Harden keeps this up, um, you know up to the also break and following that, which is the most important part, he's gonna get the MVP. And I'm as long as the Rockets you know stay at least 
as a top four seed. Right now they're fifth, but you know if they get a top four seed and Harden keeps this up, he's gonna get it. Yeah, but um, I don't know if I'm. I think that Giannis has this huge burden right now that his team is too good. I mean, the Bucks are winning so easily many games. He doesn't play so much. He doesn't, you know, I think he doesn't carry so much of a load, at least offensively. Yep. But I mean, if it were, you know, at the at the end of the season, if the Bucks had like 58 wins and they had the first or second seed and the Rockets were, you know, the fifth or sixth seed with, you know, 48, 49 wins... I think that Giannis is gonna get it by a small margin because I think that people are gonna, you know, try to value winning mm-hmm. as much as anything else. And I think that you know the, the way that James Harden plays, it's a bit not pleasant for people who might, you know, might not might yeah. not admit it from the media. I mean, and I, I I just love him. I think that I've never seen a player have. Actually, maybe Jordan. But, you know, when teams where opponents are playing the Rockets now, they're just so goddamn afraid of Harden <laughs> just getting the ball. I mean, even with the box, they were just so scared. And I was scared watching the game. Yeah. But, oh, my God, Harden has the ball. And they were up, I don't know, like a dozen points, like three minutes left. <laughs> and Harden would get the ball and would be like freaking out. And would be like, oh, my God, he's going to score like 90 points in my possession. Yes. Because he's just being so good. But I mean, I think it's still an open race. I think that Harden does have the edge right now. And mostly because it's not something that Giannis did. Because Giannis, to be honest, right now is just, apart from anything else, he's just incredible defensively. He has the best defensive rating in the NBA. He's just, all the defensive metrics have him, you know, up high. And the only one that doesn't look good for Giannis, and I, I can see why in the game, is his rim protection. It's a bit lower than it used to be. And that's mostly because with the new system, he's not, you know, affecting shots so much. And But yeah, I mean, he's been great. Yeah, and, you know, I think one of the things that kind of always bothers me in MVP conversations is just like the the idea that you have to you have to pile on the other person to take them like from one to two or wherever it may be. And it's just like, you know what? They can both be awesome. Like they can both play awesome basketball and one can just be better than the other. And, you know, I think that is always one thing that bothers me. So like, I know in my mentions, I've seen a lot of people like, Oh, you know, I don't like watching Harden or Harden is bad or Harden is this or Harden is that. And it's just like, you know, like he's really awesome. And he, he's playing basketball at an insanely high level and he throws great passes and he does all this stuff. And it's like, you know, Giannis is also great. And we can just like talk about all the great stuff Giannis does. And and that can be a fine way for us to, to have this conversation. So, um, yeah, I think, I think Giannis is having a great season. And I think by the end, uh, Giannis, Giannis's performance is much more sustainable uh, than than James Harden's performance at the moment. And, you know, like I said, if Harden's able to do that for a whole year, he's somehow able to sustain that for the rest of the season, you got to give it to him. But that seems incredibly unlikely to me. I mean, one thing I, I will say, and I do believe that, is that I think that 
Harden is right now the way he's playing, he's playing better than Giannis. I also think that generally this season Giannis is a better player than Harden. Yep. And I mean in any in a more impactful way. I mean it's just they're different types of players. Harden can win you games by you know just being incredibly offensively and just you know dictating the entire offense of the team. Uh, but Giannis is uh, he's different. He's not. I mean, the, the, what Harden is doing is something that LeBron James could never do. But also, Harden can not do things that LeBron James once did. So it's you know appreciate the different things that both of these players do. Yeah, I, I think it, to me that's that's what kind of makes basketball cool is that different dudes can play in different ways and be awesome in in their own individual ways. So um, yeah. I, I don't I don't know if I have much more to add to that conversation. I thought we were going to go much longer and argue, but I feel like we're on uh, pretty similar wavelengths when it comes to uh, the insane basketball that James Harden is currently playing and also the sustainability of that uh, or the likelihood of the st- sustainability of that for the entirety of a season. Yep. Can we talk about one more thing before we stop the podcast? What do you got? Do you know what I might be thinking about talking what the subject could be of this discussion? Hmm. I don't know. Are you gonna? Are you gonna? You don't know. It's about your insane friendship with Giannis. All of a sudden, I mean, I, I mean, last night I had you know an aneurysm. I'm pretty sure that I did when I saw that the tweet with Giannis talking about you <laughs> uh, to Matt. I mean, how the hell did that come up? Um, you know, so kind of what I've heard is that. Uh, Giannis and Matt tweeted this out, but um, Giannis made it very clear to Matt that he uh, he reads uh, both uh, both of our tweets, um, and uh, he 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 told Matt that uh, we're we're Twitter buddies, and Matt said, "Well, you know, like we're actual friends, like we we actually get along." And Giannis goes, "No, no, 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 no." Your Twitter buddies, like that—that's what you guys are. Like, <laughs> you, you guys aren't. You, you guys can't be friends. Uh, you just have to be Twitter buddies. And and Matt said, "Okay, that's fine." Uh, and he and then Giannis said something to the effect of, "Like, well, you know, like if your Twitter buddies, like you got to get your Twitter buddy in check. Like he's talking about how, uh, you know." I'm not dunking in three games, and you know these teams are defending me well, and. You know, that's just, just not the case. And that's kind of where everyone got to pick up the conversation. Um, so, I mean, Giannis and I are beefing now. Um, we're, we're at a spot where I guess there's just going to be beef. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, it did seem very playful. I haven't had a chance to talk to him since then. Um, but <laughs> we'll see. I, it was definitely not what I was expecting uh, when I made the the very uh, life-enriching choice of skipping a back-to-back in Memphis, <laughs> not going on that road trip. And I, I was kind of surprised as everyone else uh, to all of a sudden have uh, Giannis let me know that he reads my trash tweets, which I got to say, I I feel kind of bad about because I, I have a lot of bad tweets and he, he reads a lot of them. Um, so... I got like two things to talk about for that thing. First of all, I mean, kudos to Matt for throwing shade at Giannis 
along with you. I mean, he, I'm pretty sure he did tweet about him not dunking. <laughs> but then when Yanis said he was like, yeah, yeah, Eric is this terrible guy who does it. I thought he played it pretty well. I, mean, I would agree, yeah. He was great. <laughs> and the second one, I just love the challenges that people, you know, throw at you now. You know, you know, get Giannis to dunk on you. <laughs> I just got him to pose or something. <laughs> yeah, no. And you being with the being Yeah, no, like there, there's, there's no thought in my head that I can stop him from dunking or that teams are even stopping him from dunking. I had just commented that teams appear to have gotten sick of his, like, shack dunks and what i mean there is like where he just like pivots and pivots and pivots and then just puts it on your head like teams are the one he did against gasol correct like that one teams have largely just said like screw this we're following you man like whatever you're gonna shoot 15 free throws but you're not getting one of those on us tonight which i mean i think is a smart move like it you can see from the gasol dunk last night why that creates momentum and why that can really make a statement a whole lot better than two free throws can do so. Um, so to me, that was, that was the big thing that they were stopping. And I know Frank and I had talked about it on the podcast and he was like, well, you know, Giannis hasn't dunked in two games and this is really, you know, reaching crisis status. Cause he's only averaged, well, 30 <laughs> points per game. And these two games, like, like <laughs> obviously like no one's stopping him. Um, but it was funny that, and, and honestly, it was like a very good um, encapsulation of what Giannis may read. Like, because I'm thinking of the tweet I'm thinking of, I literally said, like, you know, teams aren't really stopping him, but they've essentially decided that he's not going to get these dunks anymore. And, you know, like you can kind of tell the the Michael Jordan, the the like that he has in him where he's just like, Eric said they're stopping me. And it's like, well, no, no, I didn't. Like, that's not what I tweeted. I just said they're not allowing you to get this dunk. Anymore. But, you know, like you can see that he does have that that edge to him that the smallest slight will turn into uh, I'm going to prove him wrong. And yeah, like, yeah. he's an idiot. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to show him. And it's like, okay, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. Dean, as always, it has been a pleasure. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I hope everyone has enjoyed it at all the bucks is where you can find everything that Dean does. If you liked all of the smart stuff that he said, and there was a lot of it, um, feel free to listen to the podcast twice. Uh, feel free to leave a review and also feel free to follow Dean on Twitter at all the bucks, because all of those little kind of nuggets that he dropped there, uh, he does so with tweets as well. And he does a great job on Twitter. So you should follow him there. Uh, and that's, I mean, this podcast and his tweets and his just general demeanor is a uh, is a big reason why he's a friend of the pod and one of our favorite guests. So thanks, buddy. So just just because you're saying these nice things about me doesn't change the fact that Giannis said you're his guy, and you know I hate you for that. That's fair. I don't care about all the things you said, and just you know make sure you're, I'm back on the podcast soon. Because about oh, one more thing, um, Giannis, if you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter because I, you know, I tweet things about you and stats that make you look good. Unlike <laughs> Eric, who you know tweets about how many dunks you didn't have. I'm, I'm, I tweet good things about you, buddy. All the box. <laughs> All right, that is going to be it for us for today. Uh, Bucks have a Saturday game coming up here. Um, so we will have that recapped for you on Sunday. Um, 
should be uh, i don't even it's, i don't think it's gonna be a credibly interesting game as they have the orlando magic a couple days of rest so maybe thon maker and his analytics will say that the bucks have had too much rest but um that shouldn't be the case we'll see if they can take care of against uh, take care of business against the magic on saturday uh we'll recap that for you and have it all ready to go for you on monday morning so for frank madden i'm eric name that was dean maniot follow him at all the bucks on twitter Big thanks to him for stopping by and a big thanks to all of you for listening. Have a great weekend.